Welcome back to Breaking Brave. I'm your host, Marilyn Barefoot. My guest today is Luanne Lawrenson Woods. In 2017, Luanne was diagnosed with breast cancer and told she needed a mastectomy. Luanne had no idea about the different types of reconstruction that were available, and she didn't know anyone who'd actually had one. Fast forward six years, Luanne is now the host of her own Australia-based podcast entitled Rewritten Me. She talks to healthcare professionals along with women from the breast cancer community so that the world can learn more about breast reconstruction. And not just the surgical side of things, but the physical, emotional, and practical things as well. Rewritten Me is here to help breast cancer patients choose how they want to rewrite their story. Please welcome the very brave Luanne Lawrenson Woods. Welcome, Luann Lawrenson Woods. There's so many reasons that I'm very excited about this conversation today, but the first one right off the top is the fact that after airing over 60 episodes now of Breaking Brave, you are, Luann, the first podcaster that I've actually interviewed. So welcome to a fellow podcaster to Breaking Brave. Oh, thank you so much, Marilyn. Thank you. That makes me feel even more special. I was honored to be asked to be on your pod anyway. So yes, thank you so much for inviting me. It's an honor to have you here. So just to get the world's head around, where are you talking to me from? And where's that beautiful accent from? Because those are two different continents. They are, yes. So I'm originally from the UK, but I'm coming to you from uh, New South Wales in Australia on the beautiful central coast of New South Wales. I normally live in Sydney, but I'm between homes at the moment because we're just buying a new home. So I'm staying with a friend here on the beautiful coast. And yeah, I'm originally from the UK. I came to Australia 10 years ago now to do a master's in gender and cultural studies at the University of Sydney. And um, my husband came over with me and we decided to stay. And we've been very fortunate. We're now Australian citizens. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. Well, my daughter in less than a month is marrying the most divine Australian boy. I guess he's a man, but to me, he's a boy. (laughs) And so in a couple of weeks, we are welcoming hundreds, maybe not that many, of Australians into our home. And and getting to know all of these people over Skype and Zoom has been amazing. And so I now I now have so many reasons to come and visit in Australia, including coming to see you. You absolutely do. Please do come. Uh, Australia is a beautiful country all the way around, but my heart is absolutely anchored in in Sydney and that beautiful harbour city. But isn't it wonderful how we can have these global connections now through technology, even what we're doing now, but also you've got got an extended global family. And I think that's amazing. Right. It's fantastic. So uh, just to put everything in context, Luanne, can you tell everybody why we're having this conversation apart from the fact that you're a brilliant podcaster, but there's more to it than that. Thank you. Thanks. Yes. Thank you for asking, Marilyn. I um, I was diagnosed with breast cancer in 2017. And um, from that, I had active treatment, as they call it, intensive active treatment of chemotherapy, a skin sparing mastectomy and radiotherapy through 2018. 
Now, in Australia, I'm not sure what it's like in Canada, over the age of 40, you have free access to mammograms, but you're not called for one until you're 50 years old. Um, And I had no noticeable lumps or bumps. I just felt generally unwell. I'd heard that mammograms were free, so I took myself off for a mammogram. And I was absolutely stunned when I was called back for, um, for a biopsy and subsequently found out that I had breast cancer. One of the reasons that I'm sharing that though as well is there was actually a symptom, a sign that I had cancer that I'd missed. And when I was doing my self-checks, my breast checks, I usually do them in the bathroom, overhead lighting in bathrooms, lift your arms up, but the underside of your boob is in shade. And I didn't see a dimple that I had there. So I was, I had no idea. I thought I'll just take myself off for a mammogram. And I was 46 and I was diagnosed with invasive lobular cancer. So t- through 2018, I had those treatments. Um, a skin sparing mastectomy is where you're going to have uh, maybe a later uh, reconstruction. And that's where they remove the breast tissue and they insert a skin expander. So in 2019, I then had my reconstruction. That reconstruction uh, was something that I'd never heard about. When I was told I needed a mastectomy, I was devastated. I was absolutely devastated. And I had no idea of the different types of reconstruction that were available. No clue. And kind of, I guess, why would I (laughs) really? I had no experience. I didn't know anyone who'd had breast cancer or who'd had reconstruction. And when I was talking to my specialist breast surgeon, she talked me through the different reconstruction options. And the one which I chose absolutely blew my mind because it's essentially transplanting tissue from one part of the body to the breast. And I had what they call a Dieppe uh, flap reconstruction. I don't know how you pronounce it in Canada, but in in the States, they, they pronounce it deep. <laughs> so a deep flap oh, uh, reconstruction. Really? Yes, yes. I I I would have pronounced it Dieppe because it's actually spelled D I E P, not right. like the not like the place in France where there was so much written about in mm. World War II. But D I E P, which I because getting ready for this conversation, deep inferior epigastric perforator. Yeah, and that's essentially taking tissue from the tummy, and that deep is the um, the blood vessel taking tissue from the tummy with um because you need you need some blood flow to the tissue you're transplanting and that is then used to construct a breast basically and I had a single deep or dieppe and uh where I had tissue taken from the right side and it actually went into my right breast you can have double and both sides of your tummy can be used for a uh, double reconstruction so yeah that's uh it's called an autologous or an own tissue reconstruction other reconstruction options broadly are implant-based reconstructions and there is the option to stay flat, have flat closure, and that's a reconstruction of that, just of that chest area after a mastectomy. And the autologous or own tissue reconstructions, you know, they can be taken from any other part, uh, not any other parts, other parts of the body. Um, right. So, yeah, so from uh, the thighs and areas like that. But I had enough tissue <laughs> for um, to come from my tummy and that's the reconstruction that I had in 2019 but I just I'd never heard of this type of reconstruction absolutely the fact that you could upcycle your body <laughs> in this way <laughs> to 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 construct a breast was just phenomenal but also really scary I imagine yeah I imagine it sounds kind of science fiction yes. to me. And and yes, when we talked earlier before we jumped on recording the podcast, 
I'm a survivor, but I did not have the kind of cancer you had. So I wasn't Mm. diagnosed as a, you need a mastectomy. So Mm. I hadn't, but even in the realm of breast cancer people where I can see myself, Mm. I had never heard of any of this. And it does sound a little science fiction. It does, doesn't it? And, you know, we have that here where people who have had a diagnosis and they're not necessarily aware of all those options in Australia that are possible, you know, not everybody's a candidate for them, but maybe possible options for them. And there's lots of different reasons for that. So I had that surgery in 2019. And as part of that, um, I'd been on Instagram a little bit, but not much. And actually, when I was diagnosed, I kept my diagnosis really private, only a handful of people knew. But and I'd started using, I was lurking on Instagram and gathering some information. I used Facebook groups, close Facebook groups, which were a fantastic um, support as well. Mm-hmm. And what I'd found is that Instagram in the States and in the UK was a really useful source of support on Instagram. There was big communities, cancer communities in the UK and the US. And I decided to share my recovery from my Dieppe under the hashtag 100 Days Dieppe. And that was more really to show the progress that I'd made. When I'd had my surgery the year before, you know, I was really fortunate. I tolerated it really well. I recovered really well. I had lots of what we call here allied health support, like exercise physiologists and, you know, masseurs and things like that, nutritionists. But still, when I looked back on 2018, sometimes I didn't really appreciate how far I'd come and what I'd done and things like that. So I thought, for my Dieppe, I'm going to post daily and just post what I wanted to post. So it was very self-serving in that kind of way. So that I could look back almost like a journal and see how I progressed. Yeah. Yeah. But what it became is that it opened up into those communities that at the time were more US or UK. And it resonated because not many people were sort of writing about reconstruction and particularly about Dieppe. Like you say, people were like, oh my God, didn't even know this kind of procedure existed. So 100 Days Dieppe went on for 100 days. And, you know, towards the end, I was like, okay, I am looking forward to wrapping this up. It's quite a (laughs) commitment. (laughs) It is. It is. And what I found from that, a lot of my writing was about my mental recovery as well as my physical recovery, more so that mental aspect. You know, Dieppe is a hip-to-hip incision. Even if you have a single, all the tissue is taken. So it's kind of like a rugby ball or a, a football kind of shape of tissue that's taken. Then you're closed up. So it's quite a tight scar initially across there. And then you've got the incisions to the breast. And I found that mentally quite hard to, to recover from. So sharing that, people, you know, resonated with that. And I then transferred it onto a blog. And that was through 2019. And, you know, just started sharing a bit of my story, connecting with others, hearing from others and, you know, getting a feel for how wonderful the community really is online. And I quite liked Instagram because it's a freely accessible platform. That's not to take anything away from the online groups, the closed groups. They absolutely, you know, they served me when I wanted to be private. But for me, I started to really enjoy that openness and sharing with people who didn't have a breast cancer diagnosis. They might have had another type of cancer diagnosis and really realising the support 
but the wonderful support that I've had from people who had different types of cancer or, or had no diagnosis that helped me get through that period. So I, you know, we started to share a bit more on Instagram and then had a second phase surgery um, in 2020, interrupted by that little thing called the pandemic. <laughs> and I had a second phase, which not everybody chooses to have, but I chose to have it. And that's where I had a nipple reconstructed and some of the scars tidied up. And I also had an abdominal oophorectomy and hysterectomy, um, not because of a, I didn't have any cancer in those areas, but it was a, a preventative kind of surgeries there. So again, another big surgery. And I shared on Instagram under the hashtag 100 days Dieppe 2. So from that sharing of my story and hearing the story of others, I really made some amazingly um, close and wonderfully generous people in that community. One of my best friends I met through <laughs> Instagram and we've now met in real life. Isn't that amazing? It just so absolutely amazing. phenomenal. Yeah, I now speak to her daily, you know, and I just, it's interesting. Some of my friends who are the in real life, the IRL friends who I see in Sydney or from the UK, I think it's difficult for them to understand what can happen within that online community or what can the benefit of that can be. And you try and explain it, but you don't know it until you're in it and you're not going to be in it until you get it. And we don't want people to get it. So that's okay. But it is just a wonderfully supportive community that has really helped me through some of my darkest, darkest times. And there's a lot of negative speak and I believe rightly so with respect to online and social media however mm. there is good and there is there are rainbows and you are describing them because yeah. this is lived experience community that is so valuable for you mm. it is yeah it is and you're right you know there there are there is the negative sides as with all aspects of either information or shared stories, you know, it, is, it was my story. I wrote about what my experience was like. That doesn't mean it's going to be the same for everybody else. But I think we can learn from others of what potentially might happen or be aware of what might happen. It can help inform us for some of the questions that we might ask our specialists, for instance. And yeah, I mean, yeah, we need to be just as discerning around shared storytelling as um, we are, I think, around information that is online with regards to, uh, you know, medicines and treatment and things like that. And it's not to say that anyone's not being disingenuous or they're not being authentic, but their truth isn't necessarily going to be your truth and their story isn't necessarily going to be your story, I think. And um, I think I'm, I am quite careful in, in that way. And I think that's evolved a bit more for me I do have history as an academic mentor and I do see my role now as it's evolved is to be more of is to be a mentor not to tell anybody what they should do or what the, what happened to me will happen to them and that what or what I choices I made would be right for them it's more to say this is what I did this worked for me because of this this is some information for you to go and make your decision so yeah it's um 2020, I had my surgery and wrote about that under hashtag 100 days Dieppe too. And it just grew a little bit from that really. And then the end of 21, I was watching an Instagram live actually with Terry from Deep Sea Foundation. It's a, a breast reconstruction charity in the US. And she was actually chatting to a Sydney reconstructive plastic surgeon, Dr. Joe Dusseldorp, who 
I'd never met at that time, but I just popped on. I just was watching it. And, um, and I was asking a question around something called the Ken doll. Now, the Ken doll, um, it seems all very apt now, doesn't it, with the Barbie movie? Yeah. And, um, <laughs> I was thinking like that I and I was going to say, yeah. we're calling it that because we want to have something to do with that Barbie movie, which I saw, which I adored, <laughs> by the way. Yeah. Um, so can you explain what that is, the Ken doll? Because I needed to explain to Dr. Joe Dusseldorf as well what a Ken doll was, because he knew what it was, but not in that kind of in that term. So, and I'd heard of this term Ken doll in the DF and the breast reconstructive community, but I'd never been made aware that it could possibly happen to me. So basically, when you have your DF surgery, and there is, as I said, you know, that large incision that happens hip to hip, and you are closed up. What can happen and what does happen is, you know, they need to pull things up a bit. And what can happen is, and it doesn't happen to everybody, is that the kind of fatty tissue that's over the pubic mound, that gets pulled up a little bit more and becomes a little bit more moundy. And it looks like a Ken doll. And that's why it's called a Ken, a Ken doll there. And that happened, that can happen in that first surgery. And it does, it can be quite, it can protrude quite a bit depending on the individual right you know, I'd be in my swimmers and I'd look down I'd be like there's you know I could tell there was something <laughs> there and, and it, it wasn't like it wasn't in the tummy area so it was really around that pubic area and it's known as the Ken doll so I'd asked uh you know look, look, I'd, I'd know I'd chat to some women about this and some of them weren't aware of it and when they saw that after surgery were quite upset about it but not only quite upset they then didn't feel comfortable to ask their surgeon about it because they've had a mastectomy and reconstruction and you should be lucky with what you've got kind of thing. Therefore, yeah. to then question, oh gosh, what's happened here? I, you know, not only was I not aware of it, but I'm a bit upset by it. It's made me look like and all. You know, women were quite upset by it. And also they weren't aware that actually there potentially there is a solution, you know, there are, are with lots of these things that happen. We don't know because we're not the medical professionals, but, you know, that if you mention it to somebody, they'll go, oh, yeah, what we can do is this. We can do liposuction or we can do whatever. So they were upset that it had happened, um, didn't feel comfortable that they could ask their surgeon about it or didn't feel that there was a solution available to them. So during the Instagram live that Terry from Deep Sea was having with Dr. Joe, I'd sort of asked about the Ken doll. And Joe and I have talked about this in some of the Instagram lives that we've subsequently did. And he sort of said, you know, we were not taught that at medical school. Obviously, they know that that can happen, but it wasn't anything that we were necessarily taught at medical school. And there's a lot of focus around the breast area, understandably, and around that incision, the hip tip incision, but not necessarily, you know, further down. And, you know, patient, um, respect for patient and propriety, you know, they wouldn't necessarily like pull a blanket down, you know, no need to, or the sheet down to see that area. So um, from that, I devised the Breast Recon 101 live Q&A series, which was with a, a range of different surgeons, but the first live Q&A was with Dr. Joe Dusseldorp at the end of um, uh, 2021. 
Gosh, doesn't the pandemic just mess with all kind of dates? Yeah, yeah. I just, yeah, with like BC and AD. Was yeah. it pre-pandemic or post-pandemic? Yeah. And after that, I, I'm just kind of lost. Yeah. So yeah, it was the end of 2021 and we hosted a Breast Recon 101 uh, live Q&A on Instagram. So freely open to anybody who wanted to come on. And we just generally made it about breast reconstruction. And it was so popular it was run. It ran over an hour, and we had to just close it down and just say, "Look, Joe's got to go off." You know, he's got the kids to go and see and things like that. But it was really popular, really insightful questions. You know, the one hundred and one isn't about it saying it's the simplest of questions. The one hundred and one is individual to the person that's asking the question. And I really wanted that Q and A format to show and encourage a dialogue that you can respectfully ask questions about your healthcare and get an understanding. And I know that, and I hope he doesn't mind me mentioning this, but I know that Joe finds that really insightful to hear the questions from from women about what they're considering. Um, of course, yeah, and that's one of the reasons I was really, really happy to be working with him with regards to his approach like that. I know that he shared with me that he'd asked some of his patients to journal their recovery. So he got a real insight into their concerns and not just the physical aspects of it, but the more holistic aspects of recovery. So we did that at the end of 2021. And as I said, it was just so popular that then I expanded it into a series of six Breast Recon 101 live Q&As that I did last year. And with a bit more of a structure, I have a history as a trainer. So I, it was more like a little bit of a program, a kind of knowledge mm-hmm. arc is what I call it. Mm-hmm. And with different surgeons, starting off with the first live being about what do you ask in the first appointment? What do you ask if you don't know what you don't know? All the way through talking about flat closure in one um, implant-based autologous uh, recovery and rehab you know that's such a big question how can we the surgeons are doing all this amazing work how can we help ourselves with regards to recovery absolutely yeah and then the revision surgeries which are these surgeries second surgeries that women may have you know it might be a nipple reconstruction it might be to balance volume between two breasts that somehow you don't have to have it and then yeah there was um, a series of six that went through last year and they were just really amazingly helpful to the community from the feedback that I got they were really popular and you know the surgeons as well the feedback from the surgeons was that they'd learned something and they'd also kind of enjoyed that kind of hearing from patients and you know some comments that it had changed their perspective on how they think about certain things as well from the comments that were made in those lives so really powerful and on lots of different levels in a two-way kind of process as well. It wasn't, you know, Q&A means that the, although you've got a broad topic, say, autologous reconstruction, the Q&A aspect of it means that the that's driven by the audience, that's driven by the women, that's driven by the patients. And I, and I think that might have been a bit of a different experience for some um, yeah. Who, were, yeah, who were in there. But that meant that it was about what they wanted to ask and what they wanted to know about so yeah, we did those in 2022. And um, I find that a challenge myself. You know, um, I, I'm not a presenter. I'm not, I don't have experience in that. I rehearsed a lot for the first couple. I really, really did. Um, I remember chatting to Dr. Joe, he said to me, do you want to do a live? And I thought, no, I do not want to do a live. I don't like <laughs> being on video. <laughs> I don't want to do it live in front of people. But I knew that Instagram at that time in Australia didn't have this type of resource available and I wanted 
there to be something that was evidenced-based as we go back to kind of being discerning about what information you're taking on board and consuming. And I'm passionate about equity of access to free health information. So even though I thought, oh, my instant reaction was, no, no, I really don't want to do an Instagram live. I have cognitive challenges left over from my treatments and being in surgical menopause. I went for it and, you know, I really worked hard at rehearsing for hours for that first one you know right I know you know no matter no matter how many times you do it when you're passionate about it you're still nervous every single time and you're still passionate because you want to make sure that the quality is absolutely the best you can can give how'd you feel after you finished it though how did you feel oh I was um I was kind of like that buzz, you know, it's almost that performance kind of ecstatic, isn't it? And then, yeah, um, yeah you, you look back and, and then, yeah, you're watching it, you know, I felt, it felt, it felt great. I felt so happy that we had so much involvement and so many questions because it, that meant that the community were looking for that information. And I think that's the real, that was the real takeout for me and the real buzz for me. It was like, okay, there is, there is this need here and, not taking away from any other kind of platforms or sources of information or resources. I really do believe in layering of information and we can all amplify and complement that information. There may be some overlaps, but we can still do that. But it showed to me that there was a need and I, and I was pleased that we'd been able to find, hopefully, something that could help support and answer that need. I think that was the greatest buzz for me. Good for you. Well, and and Instagram feels like a more approachable, casual, conversational type of a platform as opposed to other things, which might seem more conventional, more conservative, more stilted. I don't know. I think people would just, it's a platform they're likely already working with in their social realms. So it felt comfortable for them to engage and get information that way. So good for you. And and then what? And then what happens? So now you've done six of these lives and... Yeah, I, I've done the lives with, with uh, health professionals. I also introduced another series of live, live chats with uh, women that had reconstruction so that they could talk about the types of reconstruction that they had and what it was like for the lived experience. Because I see those two complement each other. You know, this is the health professional is going to tell you what the, what's what surgically and medically is going to be done. Women um, who've had a reconstruction are going to tell you potentially how to cope and what it was like to live with that. So that was through 2022. And then the feedback that I started to get was people really finding that those resources useful. But Instagram Lives, you know, I save them on my Instagram account. They're in a guide section. But you can't listen to Instagram Lives that kind of in the background, like you can a podcast, you know, you can pop a podcast up on your on your phone or on your laptop, and then you can carry on doing something else. You can't do that with Instagram Lives. So there was discussion around a podcast. And again, I was like, oh, God, no, I'm not sure I could do a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you know, I just the technical aspects of it. I didn't know what software to use, all that, all the things. And it took me a long time to come around to the idea that I really needed to do a podcast for the community, really. And there's some great podcasts that are already out there that have really helped me, but something that was Australian-based, which might have guests from around the world, but had that Australian focus, because things are a little different here. And 
people in Australia were wanting to know about Australian techniques, Australian surgeons, or, you know, what is access to the, our Medicare like and, you know, funding and things like that. So I did a soft launch, you know, very quietly on my own, <laughs> recorded a little introductory kind of episode, just telling my story at the end of last year. And I repurposed an interview that I did and just dropped that really very quietly and just tested out the tech and things like that. Because, you know, I don't have a producer. I use online studio. And that means I'm having to watch, you know, all that stuff, all the tech stuff, the audio levels of this, that and the other whilst I'm interviewing. So I quietly launched that and then did a hard launch in March of this year. Uh, The podcast is called Rewritten Me. And um, there is a story behind why it's called Rewritten Me. And if you want to know that, then go and have yes. a look at this pre-launch episode, unless you want to talk well, about and that. I, I I listened to your pre-launch episode, and it's brilliant. And it, and it feels like you have been doing it when you were talking, like forever. I'm like, you're quietly entering and dropping that pod. It was exceptionally professional. But thank you. But yes, let's stop here for a sec because Mm. rewritten me, the name of the podcast, how does it relate in terms of why does it have that name? I think I know based on my notes, Mm -hmm. but the world doesn't know. So the world would love to know, I think. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Thanks for asking, Marilyn. Um, Well, when I was first diagnosed, I, I find myself in those unknown moments, because there's a lot of limbo moments, isn't there? Particularly diagnosis, you're waiting for your pathology results, you're waiting for your scan results. And it's, everyone says it's like the worst space to be in when you don't know and you don't have a plan. I found myself assuming the worst each time, you know, just catastrophizing that this, that or the other was happening. And I also felt, and all I kept thinking was that this diagnosis had really unwritten me. It had mentally and physically unwritten. I'd unraveled from it. And then I was catastrophizing and, and whirring that into something else. And then I can't remember, I think it might have been in a cafe or something. I heard the song by Natasha Bedingfield called Unwritten. And it really prompted me to sort of flip that phrase of unwritten because she talks about how today is where your book begins. The rest is still unwritten. She doesn't talk about it. She sings it, but I'm not going to sing it. (laughs) (laughs) And um, so I flip that meaning, you know, unwritten to be that unless something actually happened, unless I had the results of of something, of the scans, the bloods, whatever that was, you know, the the recommendation from a a surgeon or um, a health professional, then it it just hadn't happened. It, it, It was unwritten. And that became my Instagram name, Unwritten Me. And um, yeah, yeah, feeding it to lots of different, uh, lots of different areas. And that was the name of my, my blog at the time. And really, yeah, and I think, you know, going back to the 100 Days Dieppe, when I talk about the recovery, it was really, I mean, it's a big surgery. There was lots of physical recovery. I am not underplaying that. But I just, I just found the mental aspect of it one of the hardest challenges not necessarily during treatment or active treatment, as they call it in inverted commas, of that chemo and radio and mastectomy. But afterwards, that fallout, um, I found really difficult. So unwritten me, I was kind of playing with that. 
And then it just fell after the Breast Recon 101 live Q&A series, which sort of started to take me in that direction of advocacy or mentoring. And, you know, I do mentor at my, my local hospital for early breast cancer patients that it was time to change it up again and to become rewritten. And I am now doing something that I would never have thought of, you know, the lives, the podcast hosting. Um, and that's why I chose that, that name for the podcast. But I also wanted to say to women that there is a potential for you to choose. It's, you know, how you do rewrite your story after your diagnosis. The choices are different for everybody, just like our individualised diagnosis, treatment paths, and who we are as people, there might not be choices that we wanted to make, but we are now finding ourselves on this path. And there are some choices that potentially you can make and potentially around reconstruction very depends on what's right for you. So Rewritten Me is what the podcast is called. And it's brilliant. Oh, well, thank you. There is such great love and authenticity because you are the lived experience human being who have mm. gone through your story and are willing to share it with the world and how much help that is providing to people around the world. So thank you so much for that. Oh, no, thank you. Thanks so much. It's, um, I am a big believer in lived experience, leadership, co-design and creation. And I feel very fortunate that I've been able to launch the podcast and have such amazing guests on with regards to surgeons and medical professionals and people that have had reconstruction that come on and share their stories as well. And I feel very honoured that people share their stories with me and trust me to then put that out into the world, you know. And, I, and you know, surgeons trust me on the lies and trust me in the podcast. They don't ask to listen to the edit before it goes out. You know, I feel extremely honoured to be in that position and to have the opportunity to do that. And thank you for your kind words, because I do, I've gone into this area and I was so pleased that you'd invited me on to here because I know, you know, 60 podcasts down. I was like, oh, and I've got a lot to learn from Marilyn. So <laughs> thank you so much. <laughs> I don't know about that, but I think when you get the positive reinforcement from people out there that take the time to listen to you, Luann, mm. to me, that's what keeps us going. It's it's knowing that we're making a difference somehow, some way, somewhere in the world. It's it's helping somebody. And that's mm. at our core how we are choosing to love and give back to the world, amongst other things. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I really I really do believe that. And some of the feedback, you know, that I'm getting from podcasts and some of the stories, hearing that women have made choices around their reconstruction. Some have traveled interstate to go for a particular type of procedure or they've really felt that they can do this. You know, I've heard the story of somebody who's had a similar surgery. If they can do it, I can, I can do that. And I think that, yeah, hearing those stories does, yeah, it does affirm, doesn't it? I have so many things that I want to ask you about. So in Australia... Please tell me if this is right, Luann. One in seven women will be diagnosed with breast cancer in Australia. Mm -hmm. That's right. I think, yeah. it, I think in Canada, it's one in eight. Yeah. So we're very similar. 40% of those women will have a mastectomy. That's right. Yeah. Now that was astounding to me. 
Yeah. I didn't yeah. I did not know that it was that high the percentage. Yeah. And yet there are so many women in the world that don't understand, certainly I wasn't a candidate in this case, but I didn't understand the in-depth choices and questions and everything that you're getting into with your with your lives and with your podcast. So there is a huge need. And I think I read as well that not all hospitals offer the Dieppe surgical procedure that you had. So mm. if people are listening and are in a position where they want to make that choice, how do people access that if their current hospital does not offer it? Yeah. Well, thank you, Marilyn. Yeah, I mean, I'm one part of, you know, lots of layers of information that go out there to help um, support women. You've actually hit it right on the head. This is a massive challenge for us in Australia with regards to reconstruction options. Um, the surgeries, autologous surgeries, such as DEP, do require a specialist microsurgeon to do that because of the geography and the infrastructure potentially of some of our, of our healthcare systems, it isn't necessarily available in all areas. And some of the techniques that I talk about on my podcast aren't necessarily available, particularly the new ones available in all those areas. There are different options that are available to people, but how accessible that is. And when I'm talking about access, I don't mean now just saying, well, what you could do, you could just go to Sydney and have that surgery. Now, that's mm. like an access, isn't it? Saying, well, you do have access. You could go to Sydney and have that. But access, when you think about the financial implications of travelling to Sydney, you know, where you're going to stay, travel costs, who's going to look after the kids, you know, who's what's happening with the job, then that is a massive challenge. You may hear, and I have heard, say, people can just travel interstate to do something. It isn't that simple. Um, and it is a challenge that we have here. And there is actually a collaborative working group with the Breast Surgeons of Australia and New Zealand and the Australian Society of Plastic Surgeons and BCNA, which is the Breast Cancer Network Australia, who have come together to look at this challenge of access not only to procedures, but to information as well. Mm -hmm. It's something I'm really mindful of, that I could be signing a podcast talking about these procedures that aren't necessarily, or services or resources available to everybody who's listening. And whilst I can encourage people to respectfully ask about those options of their healthcare professional, that doesn't mean that it's going to be available to them. Of course. Yeah, and I guess I don't necessarily have the answer. I would recommend that you ask the options, you know, what are my options for reconstruction? If it's not available in this hospital, what options do I have then to go and have that somewhere else? There is some funding available to support travel, as I understand it, but that doesn't necessarily address those other access issues if somebody's leaving kids behind and need caring for I think there's also other challenges that if you go travel somewhere for a surgery like a Dieppe, who's going to look after you when you get home if there are then complications, if there's nobody in that area with that kind of expertise? Yeah, because you've got to go back to the person who did the procedure for you. But yeah. it sounds like there's hope, Luan, if these groups are coming together in Australia and New Zealand, that they recognize that they're, this is needed, that this is you know, required that is wanted by the patient. So hopefully it's moving in the right direction. 
Yeah, it is recognised as an issue. And yeah, hopefully it is moving in the right direction. And I guess how I see my part in that, that whilst a question may be asked of a patient of a procedure, a resource, a technique, that it may not be available to them. And, you know, I do acknowledge that in the pod. I'm hoping that that's part of the ask that then helps to perpetuate change in that. Absolutely. Um, And not in a, you know, not in a kind of campaigning, aggressive way in any way. It's respectfully asking. Yes. Okay, so this surgery isn't available to me here. So what are my options? How can I get that? But I am really mindful of kind of putting content out there that then becomes a frustration. And I don't want to, you know, talk about our responsibility as podcast hosts. You know, I don't want to add anything that's going to cause anxiety. Hopefully the podcast is helping address some of those anxiety points that people have who are considering their reconstruction options. Um, I am mindful that I do not want to add to that, whether that's with misinformation or whether that's only presenting content that is available in metropolitan areas. I get it. So I, I don't yeah. have an answer. <laughs> yeah, no, you're not supposed to. But I think it's it's information that, you know, whether the patient decides to go for a DEP reconstruction or not, it's better to have the information than not. And so yeah. you are you're helping from that perspective. So how are you now? Well, we we're talking in August of 2023. Where are you at with this whole process of your health, mentally and, and physically? Mm. Where is it sitting at this moment? Physically, I will probably have another surgery at some point to balance out the volume um, and size of my breast. I had a single reconstruction, so there is some um, differences between those two that wasn't addressed in my last revision but I've taken some time out with regards to that. I'd also wouldn't mind having my, I've got a reconstructed nipple, but it's not the colour of a nipple. So I wouldn't mind having that filled in and coloured in (laughs) with a tattoo. So I think- Excellent. Yeah. So I think I'll have that done. Um, I have some other health fallout, I guess, from my treatment, particularly around being in surgical menopause. I was in medical menopause after my chemotherapy and then I went into surgical menopause when I had my oophorectomy at my phase two second surgery, secondary surgery. And um, I find that really hard, Marilyn. I find it, as we talked, I mentioned earlier, you know, my, the cognitive challenges that I feel, the fatigue that I feel, you know, I am 51 now, I think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're losing track. Yeah, it's only 52 in a month. Um, and, you know, I, I struggle with energy and things like that. But it's manageable, and I'm really fortunate that it is manageable. It's just something that, I mean, even now, you might be able to tell my voice has started to go croaky. That's what happens when I kind of sit down for an hour or so, and I, it, it starts to just wane a little bit. But yeah, I'm really good. Mentally, I still have moments, I think, particularly working in this space. I don't think about my cancer every day, but I am talking about cancer pretty much most days, you know, with them, not necessarily through work work, but, you know, through my community, you know, I've got some great friends in social media land and a lot of them are, um, have had breast cancer or any other form of cancer. So 
that's something that I need to keep a check on as an advocate. And I still do see a psychotherapist. I'm really open about seeing a psych. I saw a psych all the way through my treatment. It was one of the best things I did, really. Um, Good for you. Yeah, I'm really, I'm really, really good. Yeah, I just got to keep at it. Um, I have, I take some medication that potentially adds into the kind of aches and pains that I have, whereas a 51-year-old, I feel like a 91-year-old. But um, I find it really hard to unravel whether it's the cancer treatment, it's the medication, or it's surgical menopause that causes all these things. So I just accept it and tolerate it as best I can. It's not too bad for me. And yeah, I kind of crack on, as they say. (laughs) Thank you, Luann. And and you came to Australia originally to do a master's in cultural studies. I did. Did it happen? It did. Yeah, I graduated. Um, and um, yeah, it was uh, it was something that I loved doing. I love studying. I find it really challenging. And um, but my cultural studies master's opened my mind up really. Um, a lot of philosophical theory that sits behind that. And I actually found that that helped me during my my treatment. You know, when I had my skin sparing mastectomy, which I mentioned, which is, you know, you have a, a an expander. So it's kind of like an implant put into your into your body. I think if I hadn't have done my cultural studies master's, I would have found that really difficult to deal with, to have that something in my body. But part of my cultural studies master's, I studied um, something around natures and bodies. And we talked about how we are all kind of cyborgs in a way. You know, we don't do anything just on our own. If I pick up, you know, a coffee cup, it's then me and the coffee cup are doing the drinking, you know, kind of thing. (laughs) And that kind of philosophy, I'm not going to get into it in case I get it wrong now, I get the theory wrong. But that kind of helped me understand, I think, that having something in my body, although I didn't want that permanently as my reconstruction option, that it was okay. I could be part cyborg for a while whilst I waited for my reconstruction. (laughs) Luann, let's look forward because I'd like to talk a little bit about Brava art. And I knew of Strava. So this was based on Strava, the fitness app Mm -hmm. that keeps track of where you've gone, whether it's walking or cycling or running or however you're doing it. But you got very involved last year in an initiative that you've called Brava Art 2022. So I would love the world to hear about this because I know it's coming again. It is. And thank you. Thanks so much for asking, Marilyn. Yeah, so... October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month, which is generally widely known. There is a Breast Reconstruction Awareness Day that is the third Wednesday which is not a great day for a campaign, but it's the third Wednesday (laughs) in October. (laughs) But it's very little known. Now, I believe it originates in Canada, maybe 13 or 14 years ago. Oh, God. And that's how little known it is, because I'm Canadian, and until you told me about it from Australia, I didn't know anything about it. Yeah. So as I understand, it originates from there. And I had sort of seen some mention of it on socials, you know, in in America, but nobody really knew about it, including some of the surgeons that I talked to over here. So Breast Reconstruction Awareness Day, or BRA Day, as it's known, third Wednesday of October. And I thought, you know, I wanted to I wanted to promote this because 
Breast Reconstruction Awareness Day, or for me, Reconstruction Awareness Day, so that includes flat closure if somebody chooses not to have a breast reconstructed. You know, it seemed like a a great opportunity to um, promote the different options that are available for people considering reconstruction. And I knew Strava, as you said, it's a free exercise app that you can use to track through GPS your exercise route. And I knew of Strava Art. Now, Strava Art is something that people do in that Strava community that when they're exercising, they'll map that route to make a shape, to make a piece of art. And um, Gary, who who runs the Strava Art Instagram account and, and website, go and check out his website because it's just some phenomenal art that's really done, you know, out there. So I'd, I'd seen Strava Art and I really, and I really, really liked it. And I really wanted to do something with it to raise, you know, to raise awareness and of Bra Day. So I brought the two together, call it Brava Art. So it's using Strava to make Strava Art in the shape of something that represents Bra Day. Now, we had lots of boobs last year, lots of breasts. We had bras. And basically, I asked the community to make that art and to share it on Instagram and to, you know, tag Brava Art Official, which is the um, Instagram account for the campaign. There's no fundraising involved at all. It's just a fun way of raising awareness of reconstruction options. You know, there's lots of fundraising that's happening, amazing fundraising that's happening for Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Do not want to take away from that. But actually, Brava Art is a way of amplifying and promoting what you're doing. Because a lot of the activity during Breast Cancer Awareness Month is exercise-based. So Mm -hmm. if you're doing something to raise money for one campaign, if you do it in a certain shape on Strava and tag Brava Art, then Brava Art will share that and then that actually um, promotes and amplifies that campaign. So yeah, Brava Art is using Strava to to map or make something in a shape and share it on Instagram and socials and tag Brava Art official. And last year was the first year. And it's it's not an easy explanation if people don't know what Strava is <laughs> and they don't know what Bra Day is as well. So last year, it was kind of... Um, proof of concept, shall we call it, the first one that we did. And it went really, really well. So people got involved around the world and, you know, in Asia, somebody drew a bra in Tokyo and um, in the UK, in Europe, in America, and of course, Australia. I mean, in the UK, somebody cycled a love heart around Liverpool in the UK, a 60 kilometre love heart. Um, You know, so uh, people did, they wrote the word Dieppe, you know, Joe Dusseldorp, yeah, reconstructive plastic surgeon, he he walked the word Dieppe. Some people did it on their own. Some people did it in teams. People rollerbladed, skied, cycled, kayaked. We launched the event with some kayaking on um, Sydney Harbour, which is where where I live. And somebody kayaked the word bra across the harbour. I have no idea how they did it. They're just very, very clever. And I was in awe, whereas I was trying to do a couple of boobs and it just, yeah, they were very much sisters, not twins, or cousins, not twins when I did them. So that's what Brava Art is. It's, you know, it's we ask you to do it, map it, share it, tag it. It's as simple as that. Strava is a free app that you can download and it's relatively simple to use. And we're doing it again this year, Brava Art 2023. And we are asking people to draw, well, they can draw anything you like, but 
draw a bra. bra that sound, might sound complicated. Two triangles make a bra as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> right? A rectangle makes a bandau bra. That's easier still. That's easier still. If you can't do that, just do a circle. That's a nipple. You know, that's just like, it's fine. <laughs> you know, I love, I love the creativity of it, but it's more about the awareness raising where I'm at. So yeah, that's Brava Art. And people can be involved in lots of different, different ways, as I said. Um, and, you know, you know, do a logo, um, do whatever, whatever you want. I just want you to get on board and help us raise awareness so that women know what possible options that they have but also to know that they're not alone, that there is a community that is behind you. And let's open up this discussion about reconstruction after a mastectomy so that anyone who has a diagnosis knows that there are options available and that they can ask about those options. So yeah, that's what Brava, Brava is really excited for it this year. Got quite a bit of involvement from, from places already in the States and in the UK. So, and hopefully Canada it would be great to have some what we call braistas. So braistas, braistas. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> People who make brava art. So we'd love to have some Canadian braistas, and yeah, just go for your life and enjoy it. And we will. October eighteenth is the day this year. October eighteenth, twenty twenty three. Yeah, it's fun. Thank you. It takes a very very serious subject, but it. In a healthy way, being outside, doing some form of exercises, raises awareness across the globe. Yeah. And yeah, the exercise part, you know, exercise was one of the things that really helped me during my active treatment, chemotherapy, but also to prehab and rehab from surgeries. And sometimes that might just have been a walk around the block. And, you know, it absolutely mentally helped. And I think for Breast Cancer Awareness Month, which a lot of us in the breast cancer community find really triggering... Mm. A simple go out for a walk and focus on something else can can help that. I'm not saying it takes all the triggers away, but what I'm saying is that it can potentially help with that. So yeah, the day is the 18th of October. As I said, Wednesday is a tricky day for a campaign. So we're going to be doing activity all that week. You know, you don't have to do it. Or you can make the Brava art, you know, like the week before and post it um, on the 18th. It's, you know, there's no big rules. Excellent. Any Brava art is good Brava art. So, Luann, how can the world follow you, get in touch with you, listen to your podcast? This is the call out for all your socials, rewritten me, the podcast, anything website wise, give it all to me now. Okay. So, rewritten me is on podcast platforms, Spotify, Apple, etc. But you'll also find it on my website. My website is luannlauriewoods.com.au. Um, A-U. Maybe spell that. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So Luann is L-U-A-N. Yes. And then Laurie Woods is L-A-W-R-I-E. And then Woods, W-O-O-D-S. Perfect. And that's luannlauriewoods.com.au. I am on Instagram as Luann Laurie Woods. So at Luann Laurie Woods. And then Brava Art is Brava Art Official on Instagram. But if you find me on Instagram, you will find all those other channels come through on there. It's when I start to wish that I hadn't put mine and my husband's name together when we got married because I'm the Lawrenson <laughs> and he's the Woods. <laughs> <laughs> it makes ordering pizza a nightmare. 
well, I didn't change my name, but people call my husband Mr. Barefoot. And he's like, you know, thanks a lot for that. Thanks a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Well, my husband brought them together as well. So he's a Lawrence and Woods. He took my name as well. Oh, excellent. Yeah. Now, it occurred to me just a second ago that the word bravery starts with the letters Mm B-R-A. Had you already thought of that? You'd already thought of it. I could see your face. Oh, she's like, yeah, Marilyn, when when was the penny going to drop for you? What What does bravery mean to you, Luann? Just give it to me right off the top of your head. That's the only way I want you to answer. Okay, thank you. I was, I've been a bit concerned about this question because I've never really <laughs> aligned with, with the word brave as part of my um, breast cancer experience. And it's, it's something that I've written about as well. I was thinking, oh my gosh, I need to be true to what I've written about previously and what I actually feel. And I guess for me, I thought it brave. Um, it always seemed that, you know, you put fear aside and you go for something. But I kind of more align with, brave as a courage kind of thing where you still feel the fear because I always felt the fear and I still feel the fear now whether that's in relation to my diagnosis or trying to do a podcast or a live <laughs> <laughs> um, and still taking that step even though you still feel that fear so I know it's semantics but we'll call it brave and courage bravery and courage um, that's what it is to me is still making still doing whatever needs to be done, making those decisions that you want to make or may not want to make, but you you do them despite and in spite of feeling the fear. I, I read uh, on Instagram recently something that Viola Davis put up. And I think it might have been something that was said on Oprah. And she was quoting, a, quoting an actress from the 1900s that said, courage is fear that has said its prayers. And I think that... <sighs> That for me is how I see courage and I'm going to morph that into how I see brave. (laughs) Excellent. I've never heard that before. Yeah. Absolutely love it. Thank you. You're so welcome. Thank you. Please come back. Yeah, I would absolutely love to. Um, And and hopefully um, let's let's make some some brave art. You know, let's, um, you know, if you think in capital letters, spelling out the word brave you know, it's it's not too difficult. Absolutely. I love that. I'm going to do that. I make you that promise. Thank you. On my Strava, I'm going to do that and we will promote it and hopefully we'll be able to take those numbers just right off the scale this yeah. year for you. Thank you. Thank you so much. I really do appreciate that. I appreciate all and any support and because that support for Brava Art is a support for the community, the community that we have now and the community that sadly, until we have a cure for breast cancer, will come afterwards. Um, so thank you. Thank you for being with us, Luanne. It has been a delight. Thanks, my lovely. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to Breaking Brave. For updates between episodes, please visit my website, MarilynBarefoot.com. You can also find me at Marilyn Barefoot. That's it for today. See you next time.